Whiteboards Are, a podcast by educators about all things education. So today we're actually at friend of the podcast, Billiards and Springfield's uh, establishment recording. And it's kind of um, a fun activity. We got their staff to ask a group of teachers some questions and they recorded those questions for us. Um, A friend of the podcast, Matthew Holdway, is going to be moderating those questions for us and delivering us the information. And then this will be a little bit of a blind react, which we know everybody loves. Best concept ever. Ready, go. (laughs) Yeah. First question. What kind of aid programs exist for the underprivileged and low-income students? So, I, I guess free and reduced lunch? Well, is like public school. Public school. First of all. Yeah. Right? Like. Right, right. Conceptually. That's mm-hmm. one of the perks. Yes. And I mean, if we're extending that to college, I guess like the uh, Pell Grants, FAFSA mm-hmm. situation. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. What other aid programs are you aware of? Like, I, Well, I think it depends in part on... He's squeaking the chair. Likely story. Likely story. (laughs) Um, I'm like real serious. (laughs) People need resources. They don't have money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, on top of that, though, I think it depends in part on the area that you're in. Um, Most schools, even if they're not schools with access to a lot of resources have some sort of outside organization that does provide ancillary support. Um, I know at my current school, there's essentially like a booster club. You could think about it in the same capacity where students who need supplies or resources can um, get them through there. Oh, and counseling then, departments a yeah, lot of times will have. Yes. Yeah. And be able to put people in connection with that. Um, and then at our past school, there was an organization, I think, stationed in a town like north of there. Are you thinking of like the Keeley Foundation? Yes, thank you, thank you. Keeling Foundation? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so like mm-hmm. students that had needs could also get them met through there. So there's some options. Yeah. Anybody else? Well, and I do know that like um, Life 360 is also comes and um, they provide that food. But I think they also help with some of that kind of stuff too. I think oh, they do have, they? Yeah, I think they have some other outreach. Yeah things Uh that they do which is through a church yeah and a shout out to the local school district uh springfield public schools they have a program called sps university and they have some community organizations that kind of host uh booths prior to the event really kicking off and when, when i went to the very first one i was kind of blown away how many organizations are are doing that and some of them are no questions asked if you need it Boom. Like we've got it. You don't have to worry about income. If you're like a a non-resident of the United States, like they're not checking that. They're just trying to make sure, make sure kids and families are not hungry. I was just kind of overwhelmed with like, wow, there's a lot of people doing some really, really good things. So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there for people who, who need them and want them. Yeah. And schools become kind of a hub to help find Mm -hmm. those resources for their students and families. What's the next question? Uh, it's actually a tie on the first question. I asked, are they difficult programs to become a part of? By the sound of it, no. So no. with free and reduced um, through the, the state and federal government, like there are income requirements. And for some people that that's tough because maybe they're paid under the table. So uh-huh. they're not paying out taxes or they're not um, residents. And that, that gets weird. Uh-huh. And, and some people just don't want to fill it out. 
Like that's the hurdle. Like I, I don't want to fill it out or maybe they don't even, they're not, uh, English speakers. They, they can't read and you know, th- that's sort of the option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I would say one of the, the hurdles, but there's a lot of other community and civic organizations that can offer assistance. No or little questions asked. Yeah. I always feel like those, like at some point in the school year, there's always, uh, like an organization that's like, send us people who need things, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. they are, they are looking to give those resources and provide those resources. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine it's very difficult to really, you know, reap the benefits or like take advantage of. And and I didn't mention faith-based organizations are, are definitely on that list with, I I didn't specifically call them out, but I want to make sure that that's known like 360 being one of them. Um, Especially here in the buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of resources, though. But yeah, I do think there are some difficulties that are more involved with a governmental program. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you've all said, there's plenty of non-governmental options that are very mm-hmm. easy to get involved with. Yep. Just see what your uh, local community has. Mm-hmm. You know. right. Perfect. To tie in what you just said there, Sam, about that, uh, it also asked, do you see any red tape around these programs affecting many of the students that you interact with? I think the biggest form of red tape, and I don't know that it's really overcomable in our like current system um but essentially like the student has needs um but their parent is the one that has to like perform the action yes. to get the need met mm. and that's really kind of where that i think deficit comes in so like filling out the fafsa for example like if your parent doesn't do taxes you can't fill out the fafsa um and that seems like maybe if you're familiar with the system, a pretty like basic entry level point, but like a 14 year old, well, I guess for the FAFSA, like a 17 year old has no control over how their parent approaches their income taxes, for example. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that's part of that or like free and reduced lunch. Kid wants to eat lunch at school. Their parent doesn't want to fill out the form. I so just, we have like that deficit. Yeah. Right. I, wish it, I, I had a student that had received a scholarship, but had to fill out the FAFSA in order to, to collect the money. Mm-hmm. But because the parents didn't pay taxes, mm-hmm. she couldn't go to college, even though she had a, had been awarded and earned a scholarship. And that I was like, oh my gosh, that really broke my heart. Like mm-hmm. that was yeah. eye opening for me. Yeah, I, honestly, like anything we can do to normalize accepting help like that, because sometimes I feel like there's a like a shame or like pride associated mm-hmm. with it. Oh, or it's definitely. Like, well, we don't need no help from no government or anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it's literally there to help mm-hmm. people in need and your mm-hmm. people in need. And I don't like, why would you argue against your own self-interest? Well, I, mean, I think media paints a picture of that. That is very negative right. as well. Yeah. You know, the people that are maybe on welfare taking food stamps and stuff. And they're like, Oh, well you're just stealing that money so you can spend it on cigarettes and alcohol. And, and I don't think that that is true. You know, I truly don't think that people are doing those things, but, um, I smoke, I drink, it's good for the baby. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but But but, poverty is a a complex issue. I mean, I think there are a lot of reasons why people might be like, no, we're not willing to pursue this it's Mm -hmm. just unfortunate because normally that's an adult to adult issue and then the student is the one Mm -hmm. who's harmed in the process yeah yeah so awesome well tying in with that it also says is there much that you can do as a teacher to help these students when you recognize their situation no so uh, we can start to have discussions as adults as peers of coming up with a strategy Mm -hmm. um to to help and sometimes that's pulling in counselors and administrators 
and reaching out to the community contacts that we have um, and having conversations with parents. Um, but it's a, sometimes it's really tricky because people don't want help or they're not aware that they need help or they don't, they don't want to be targeted. They just want to be left alone. Um, even though the child really needs some assistance and it's, there's a lot of landmines, but sometimes it's still worth it to go through it. Um, but it's, it's not always easy, but yeah, there are things that, that we can do. That's what I think just like being aware of resources that are available in your community is already like a huge first step for teachers because then you can like, Hey, there is this option that's available. Um, and then really like putting them in connection with the right people. Um, or at least people who might be a little more qualified than you are to yeah. help with whatever mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. It's really just being aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot to be aware of. I'm, I remember the conversations about the first like homeless student of like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a thing. And then it, that, well, that was, I think in your class, uh, the, like the first time I was made aware of like somebody student living in their car. And then after that, how prevalent it was, like how, uh, how much more aware of it I was and, mm-hmm. and better equipped to help those students and make sure that the counselor and people were able to, to provide assistance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, caller number five asked with current events being loaded with biased sources, how do you keep students biases from clouding the importance of fact checked and reliable news such as the Russian war presidential drama, or even perhaps the validness of new scientific discoveries? This is such a good question. That is a very good question. Um, Gosh, I think if you are teaching, let's say, a research paper or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, the keys within that are that you have procedures in place so that your kids are critical of the news sources that they're looking at and what lens they're looking at it with. Um, I do a lesson on bias. Uh, Sam also does a lesson on bias and what news sources have bias because they do. Um, So I think it's about making them competent in understanding that information Mm -hmm. and where it comes from and how they get there. My two big things are I like to rely on facts and then logic. And so one, you have to kind of teach students what a fact is, which maybe again, seems like that should be kind of things that people know. But um, frankly, I think life shows me every day that we don't. Um, So there's that. And then also like how to recognize when people are trying to take advantage of a lack of knowledge, um, which I think is the biggest problem with information that we're given is that there's a lot of agenda in that information, whether it's to persuade you or get you to buy something or whatever it is. Um, And then being able to recognize that and then decide what you want to do with it. So that's, uh, I try to teach the kids logical fallacies. Um, So then when they're arguing with me, I can be like, Hey, remember when we talked about this, that's happening right now. Um, And then also just making sure that the information I bring them is factual. And then if there is like bias involved, acknowledging both sides of bias, because they could agree with me and still be biased. So, yeah, I mean, you guys are in a much better position to reinforce those skills and concepts and everything, like in your classroom. Um, I guess whenever I was teaching history, one of the one of the biggest things I always emphasized to the U.S. history classes was anytime you have an opinion on something, ask yourself why three times. You know, like, well, why would I say that? Oh, because of this. Okay, why do you believe that? Well, because of it, and if you can answer why, like a chain of why, not three different whys, but like in a chain, like, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? 
you can get to the core of what it is that you're actually saying, which allows for you to actually analyze, is that what I believe? Or is that just what, you know, my grandpappy told me or something, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever the case may be. Uh, so it, I guess that's, that's difficult for me now. Cause like in the band classroom, it, it really is like, well, that's not music. So let's get back to, and I can just like shut it down, mm-hmm. you know, and just like divert back to what the conversation is supposed to be about. Like in my, and I think that that's part of it too, is like, is it relevant to your class? Is it relevant to like the, the subjects that you're teaching? Um, another large emphasis of mine in the history classroom was, I don't care what your opinion is, genuinely don't care, as long as you can support that opinion with facts. And that was why all of their assessments were always like these, you know, two or three page papers where I'd give them a pretty open-ended question that had to do with the unit that we were just talking about. Um, and, uh, they could answer it with whatever they wanted. They just had to use historical fact in the paper to support their conclusions. Um, Cause that's, that's like, I think the biggest thing is like, I'll just believe something because, well, it was a thought that occurred to me. Why wouldn't I believe it's like, no, th- think about those thoughts, consider yeah. what the source of that thought may have been and, you know, learn a little bit about yourself. And well, it's critical thinking is what I'm describing right now. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a skill that, that we have to teach as teachers, mm-hmm. believe yeah. it or not, is critical thinking. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, this might get dangerous waters. But dun, dun. Um, as educators, our job is to make students into critical thinkers. And sometimes once they have decided their views, mm-hmm. it can differ from their parents. Mm-hmm. And that's when we have yeah. this conflict taking place mm-hmm. um, that we see today. You know, there's this fear that teachers are indoctrinating the youth and, and, and this kind of stuff. But I think it stems from, no, I'm not indoctrinating them. I'm showing them here are facts and here's how mm-hmm. we critically analyze these facts. And here's evidence and yeah. what we do with that evidence and how do we get to this conclusion using it. So. Mm-hmm. In, in my role as a math teacher, I wasn't subjected to that as much, but in, in leadership, it isn't naturally like come up like oh we need to discuss the prevalence of bias but it, it was still there in in terms of you are individuals who have influence over other people like leaders that's one of the things that you do is you have influence over people and you try to create influence through relationships um but sometimes uh different years we would do activities where you know maybe we're brainstorming a service project or something with the school and we could illustrate bias or unintentional influence just by having me or somebody else that's planted create a really bad idea like that's this Uh is this is a bad idea but because of their influence it could become the most popular idea in the room Uh and then or you know some years depending if i could get somebody who wasn't very popular at the time to introduce a good idea who that would never gain traction Uh um and you could have conversations about, you know, are you just wanting this project because I, as the teacher, presented it? That's, that's bias. That's influence. Yeah. In the wrong way. And some, like, it doesn't always have to be malicious. Right. Yeah. You know, and some, there were some good conversations with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always kind of eye-opening to see students that were like, oh, I don't always realize that when this is at play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Even just, as adults, you know, just we don't because always, you're yeah. popular doesn't mean that what you're doing is right. Just because right. it's popular. And, and just because you're not popular doesn't mean right. it's wrong. You're, you're right. right, you're right, right. Mm-hmm. So. Hmm. 
Speaking of students, uh, <laughs> next question would be, when there are opposing biases between students, how do you as a teacher approach those situations? When there are opposing biases between students? So like, like students are students getting into it, I guess, is sort of. Sure. I would say a conflict between the two. Uh, yeah. As long as it's not something like blatant sexism, racism, something like that. Yeah. You know, I try to uh, facilitate that or mo- I guess moderate that 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 exchange in such a way where each of them sees and un- genuinely understands what the other is saying so that they can understand where they disagree. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. It's a vague question because I don't know. I guess recently. No, I'm not. I'm not going to go into that one. Um, <laughs> sorry, somebody else take it. Um, well, I was kind of along the same lines. It honestly depends on, I guess, how offensive the exchange is right. and how upset we're getting. Yeah. Um, so, like, if the exchange is really offensive, then I have no problem telling the person being offensive that they're being offensive and this isn't the space for their rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, if the conversation is like seemingly benign, but somebody's like about to cry, we're also not going to do that because we've reached like a fundamentally unproductive space. And I don't know what we could get from this and everybody needs to settle down. Right. Like mm-hmm. I'm always telling them that the English classroom is not in fact their therapy session. And I would like to try to um, support that, you know, like we don't, let's not get into this right now. But if two people just like disagree, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like you're saying, having a moderate, like no, we're gonna let each person speak at a time, mm-hmm. process and reflect accordingly. Yeah. Well, and I think it comes with the time and place that that's taking that's that's happening too, right? Like if you're all of a sudden talking about the war in Ukraine and I'm over here teaching you a lesson about grammar, very true, very true. Then, <laughs> then it needs to be shut down, right? Because that's not right. an appropriate time or place for what it is that mm-hmm. you're talking about. Yeah. And oftentimes those are when the offensive remarks get made. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's say, oh, I see the book or the story this way, or right. I see it this way, you know, like those sorts of conversations, I welcome those conversations because I do think that they help our students understand that not everything that you say is going to be right. And not everything that somebody else says is going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In math, you know, I, I guess I didn't have a lot of that. The oh. answer is negative two. No, it's <laughs> not. Plus two is five. Right. You know, in side conversation, students can disagree on things. And I think a lot of times when it gets heated is when it's things that affect their their core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if that's shattered or cracked, then it offers a lot of other issues in their core beliefs. And I get that. Um, teenagers can be really, really passionate. Um, in leadership, again, we, we get to explore and do things under the guise of like leadership development and, and trying to learn different things with different perspectives. Um, and there were sometimes activities where you were assigned um, a, an opinion, like whether it's we're practicing uh, speeches or whatever, like here's a hot topic, you know, I'm going to give you this opinion. You need to, whether you believe it or not, like you need to speak on it for two or three minutes. Mm-hmm. And even though the, the main goal there is just public speaking and it also has a secondary skill set of like providing perspective. Empathy. Yeah. From a different angle, something that may be challenging your beliefs or, or mindset. Like, you know, you can start really low risk with like, okay, maybe, maybe you don't like spinach, you know, <laughs> but, but then you can really amp that up. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and you're challenging uh, social constructs and things like that. And, you know, as a teenager, I thought I had it all figured out too. Right. You know, it's because we it, did. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and good thing I did. That's right. That's right. Um, it, but it takes those people who are really um, masterful to, to kind of chip away at like what you believe to get to the core of like, to make your own decisions on your beliefs in your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just had believed what my parents had told me. Um, and not that it, not that it has to change, but right. it's later in life when, you know, your beliefs are cemented as your own beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, not just because parents or society or whatever, right. You know, where you grew up mm-hmm. kind of thing. So leadership provided a lot of opportunities to resolve some of those issues without having to say we're resolving those issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it takes a very skilled teacher to do that. Right. So I, oh, you know, can, yeah. I don't know if I would feel comfortable maybe doing some of that as far as political mm-hmm. spectrum. Like I would not make a good government teacher because I have very strong views on aspects of the government that I, yeah. I would be, <laughs> I w- it would be hard for me to be a non-biased participant in some of that kind of conversation that's taking place mm-hmm. um so i think you have to be a very skilled teacher and allowing both sides allowing and, and allowing them to have that moment of oh maybe i don't really believe this thing mm-hmm. yeah sorry for laughing i just i had to teach government and for anybody who actually knows me for my political beliefs <laughs> we're gonna move on <laughs> When trying to push students to be interested in the subject that you were teaching, what are the biggest pushbacks and frustrations you see in the administrative system? And whoa, administrative. That feels like three different questions. Say it again. We, one more time. <laughs> when Sorry. trying to push the students to be interested in the subject being taught, okay. What are the biggest pushbacks and frustrations you see in the administrative system? I'm going to change administrative to just like from Edu- them. Education. Right. Like, well, because that's what it feels like the question's asking at first, and then it switches to administration. I love Matt Holdsweet's sticky notes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess actually, no, I could speak on that. Um, as I've wanted to introduce not history classes to my, oh. uh, to, to my curriculum, to my daily schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Um, scheduling is a very big hur- hurdle in a small school. Okay. Um, Because you only have so many teachers and like everybody's teaching like what has to be taught. And so there's not a lot of, oh yeah, you can have three electives like of your choosing. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's the core, like, no, we have to have a music appreciation for like basically anybody. We, you know, have to have a psychology class. We have to, you know, whatever. Um, So that I guess is the biggest pushback that I've experienced. Um, I didn't experience it at my previous school. So, you know, here or there, whatever, take it or leave it. Um, but that from the administrative team, that is what the pushback I've experienced. Now you guys can take it any yeah. direction you for want. For me, <clears throat> I'm going to talk a couple different things. So let's talk math first. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at the district for 11 years. I was eight years special education. Um, I taught some regular education electives in that time. But then I went three years regular education uh, completely with the core math classes, but I did math the whole time. And I don't know how many different math teachers I taught with in the department, middle school, elementary, whatever. And from an administrative standpoint, it's very, I became very frustrated of like, I am the consistent piece here. Mm-hmm. And we keep having turnover after turnover after turnover. And that creates a lot of burden on my role 
as a math teacher and like why are we why are we not able to tr- attract and retain quality teachers mm-hmm. because that impacts what students are willing to do at the high high school grade at the upper grade levels yeah like they're not going to continue to enroll in higher level math classes or pursue stem fields without that strong math background yeah you know they're missing fundamentals and to me that's an administrative problem that's not it's not a student's fault that they've had no. yeah. teachers come and go or, or bad teachers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's not my fault. You know, it, yeah. it was very frustrating and it, it really did create such a burden on me of like, I'm just filling in holes, trying to reteach concepts that they don't have that they should have had prior to coming to high school and, and various things. And it's, I can only imagine how frustrating that is for, for students of like realizing Here's one more thing I would I hadn't learned, but I was supposed to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, they um, don't see the point in investing whenever the adults of the program haven't even invested in it. Yeah, you know, like by yeah. moving in or out, whether by choice or not. Yeah, yeah. And then a similar aspect in leadership. So I don't remember how many years I taught leadership. It wasn't eleven because I didn't. They didn't let me teach leadership right out of the gate. Um, but when I got it, it grew every year. Mm-hmm. I had forty students my last year. It was clearly successful. Um, And at one point, there was a small program at the middle school, but that teacher had switched roles and was no longer able to teach it. And they wouldn't let me teach it and they wouldn't offer it to anybody else. But Mm -hmm. the students that went through that middle school program were just such amazing. Like they came to high school ready to go. There was Mm -hmm. not like a whole series of, oh, we have to start from scratch in terms of leadership and what it means. Um, So definitely really frustrated. Especially when school board members and upper administration be like, I really love what your program does and you know, the outcomes are amazing, blah, 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 blah. Well, let's let's expand it. Let's let's push it down at the lower levels, open it up to more people, have more than just one section so I don't have to teach forty kids uh-huh. in the cafeteria. Uh-huh. That would make my life a lot easier. Um, so yeah, those are some of the mm. frustrations I guess I have. Mm. I guess I'm just fortunate. I never haven't gotten what I wanted. That's right. like really terrible phrasing. But there have been times like I wanted to make changes, especially um, at my previous school. I was really into designing electives around what the kids said they wanted because yeah. the fourth English credit can be daunting if you're somebody who is not drawn to ELA and does not want to go to college, but you need your fourth English credit. I'd like you to engage in that in a way that doesn't make it miserable for you. Um, and I was really always fortunate and that I felt supported in that. I've made some like curricular changes based off what I think is student best interest at my current school. And I, I guess had to work a little harder for that, but they gave me what I wanted. So I've just been yeah, I don't fortunate think, there. I don't think I've ever really had much administrative pushback on things that I have wanted to do yeah. in my classroom, like in my daily life or anything like that. My, maybe there's more hoops to jump through at the new school as far as changing curriculum, adding mm-hmm. books and things like that. but. Um, as far as classes and like what I teach, that's never been like an issue. And no one's ever looked at me and been like, no, we're right. not going to do that. Yeah. In this specific area. Right. <laughs> Other areas. Yes. Right. But not that one. Yeah. Perfect. Next question. If you could unban one book, why would it be 1984? <laughs> <laughs> Is 1984 being banned? I mean, um, it's prob- in the rotation. Probably. It's, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but 1984 has really had its 
resurgence. Yeah. Post 2016. I just, yeah, no there, reason. whenever I read 1984 as an adult, there were a couple of paragraphs out of the book that just, like, as I read it, I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> this was <laughs> yeah. written in the 50s. Like, yeah. This, right. Like, this is from like a half century ago. And like, like, I, I don't know. It was eerie to me just mm-hmm. how like on uh, the pertinent, yeah. yeah, like poignant, even like those the the points that it makes are, and how you can see it today, mm-hmm. and, and like not even like in a oh well the door was red because like not even literary okay. analysis. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what I mean is like <laughs> without any without any like deep thought, it just literally is like oh yeah that's. Mm-hmm. this that the other whatever that you see today yeah. well and i guess the question is kind of hard to answer in the sense that you have english teachers that are involved in this and right. so for us um the mere mention of banning a book we want to throw fire on you so <laughs> you know i i, I mean i'm not trying to like napalm anybody well, I mean, <laughs> as far as educational materials i'm not yeah. gonna ever ban a book especially one like that that has some significance and feels important right now mm. what's going on in society but it's also felt important for a really long time it, yeah. mm-hmm. i just i've always known like i don't not that it's even subversive like it's been around so long i just thought it was a, a staple wow <laughs> are you texting your mom um how intensive should i be in the like there's like some darker avenues of book banning and there's, I guess like, okay, That's so just the first life. half of the class, like if, or class question, if you could unban any book, one book banning like is upsetting, but almost like <laughs> a gift. So like if you ban a book, the book sales spike, right? Oh yeah. yeah. When a community bans a book, as long as you're not removing it from the library, yeah. The request list at the library intensifies, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, if you want to get some information out there, like, tell people they can't have it, and all uh-huh. of a sudden, it increases, right? Everybody wants it. Yeah. Right. Because, like, ultimately, we do live in a capitalist society, and you could, like, ban a book from a school, quote, unquote, but I can still buy it. Like, cash is king, right? So, like, <laughs> sorry about you. Um, but then, like, also... the like tool of book banning and the way that it's like restrictive and oppressive is really upsetting. I think the biggest harms to students are like, if you ban something like Toni Morrison is my personal literary queen. I love everything that she's done. She's also one of the most successful black women to ever write a book. Um, And so like when you ban her work, which is like in trend right now, um, you're just restricting like the black woman's perspective, um, which is unfortunate for your students um or like Lori Halls Anderson is a really popular like YA writer and specifically she writes a lot about students who have experienced like sexual assault and that's why her work gets banned because that content is in there but also like kids experience that and they need that Look, and like to figure out how to process through that when I is important read speak in my was freshman sophomore English class or whatever mm-hmm. like that has stuck with me I have always I'm like Oh yeah. Like, especially as like the man, I don't know that I ever would have had that perspective of like the fear and the, the shame and the everything that, you know, like, sorry, I'm just trying to say that I really appreciated having those perspectives Mm -hmm. that were ulterior to my own. Yeah. And when you take it away, you just harm somebody like that's, you're just restricting access uh, to a perspective that people need. So, yeah. Well, and you can cut this out if you want, but 
John Green just came out on TikTok. Mm. Um, his hometown is banning this. The school that he he is from mm. is banning his book, "Looking for Alaska," actively right now. <laughs> so he, yes, so he came on TikTok to be like, "Where I am from, literally the school that I am from that helped mold me into the writer that I am in some capacity right. is banning the very book that I wrote." Right, and wow. I'm just you know I just think about how unfortunate it is for our students to miss out on those perspectives and those yeah. opportunities when anything like that gets banned. Right. Um, it comes back to trust, trust that your educators are picking books that should be in the library, right. whether you agree with them or not. It goes back to bias. And like so wild, right? Because 1984 is written like in the 50s. I think Speak is from the 80s. Oh my God, is it really? Um, is yeah, it that like, old? Oh, I didn't I even no know it was that I could old. be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like late 80s. Um, Looking for Alaska is like 12. Like it's not even this new incendiary just like, oh right. my gosh, we can't have this. It's, it's 1999. Oh, 99. Oh, sorry. Okay. A little right. I was off. Right. I was off. But still, yeah. I mean, that was still 20 almost years ago. I can't math. 23. Yeah. 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 So it's been a hot minute that it's right. been out. Yeah. It's weird. So I don't know if that's answered that question or not. Basically, I would unban a lot of books. Obviously, uh, 1984 is fine. Like, right. it's, right. not that it should be banned. It's but the book's not. It's suffering. really that's it's okay. That's its own episode. Like, if we really wanted to dig back into book banning and like that whole thing. Like, that's a that's a mini series. Really, and we are planning a series all about libraries and literacy and books. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we have a. I guess the episode will have aired by the time you hear this. So yeah, yeah, yeah we have a whole series planned. Books are good. Read yes. more books. All right, perfect. What is the what is your favorite way of getting students out of their shells? Icebreakers. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to get in trouble? <laughs> no, not if you genuinely believe it. Uh -oh. oh, whoop! Uh, uh -oh. <laughs> sorry. I think getting them out of their shells especially the first interaction that you have with a student. If I can see on their shirt, if they've got a band on their shirt or an anime on their shirt, or if they've got a hat with something on it that I recognize, like a symbol, a sports team, whatever it is. And I can go, Oh yeah, I really like the chiefs too. Or yeah, I watch anime. I really like this. Have you seen this show? Like even just that first based off of their physical appearance, um, helps a lot to help break that ice. Just, hey, whatever it is they're wearing, hey, I really like your shoes today. Red school or whatever helps. See, I, uh, I take the approach of I disarm them by being as awkward as possible. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if because they, they don't want to speak and they're being shy because they don't want to be seen as like, oh, I did something yeah. silly or stupid. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do something silliest and stupidest right now. Yeah, so everybody else is safe. Yeah. yeah. So that like anything that you do is not nearly as dumb as I sound right yeah. now. But it's like very intentional on purpose. Like I'm a goofball and it disarms them and they laugh and then like they feel like they can, you know, talk. And that's my, like the first two days of school. Like if, if they're not a band kid, and I've already had them before like those music appreciation or psychology classes. It's very much me just like being an absolute nut job in order to get them to understand yeah. that like it, be you. It doesn't matter, man. Like nothing matters. The points are made up and the point or the, the rules are made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know that I have like a set default getting kids out of their shell strategy. The thing that most re readily comes to mind is that I will just like sit by you and ask you questions until you answer one and then I'll go away. But like, I'm not going away <laughs> until you talk to me. And I'm normally, I also tell them that like, I understand you're not really into talking to me right now, but I can't go away until you do. So like... Might as well just get to it and we can skip this phase. <laughs> well, it's something Sam does. I don't know if she realizes it, that she does this. She probably does. But whenever any single student comes into her room, she instantly goes, hi, so-and-so. Like, oh. very direct. Um, I acknowledge your yeah, presence. Yeah, and acknowledges yeah. them. Um, and I think that that helps a ton. Like, if you can say them, you know, their name the second they walk into mm -hmm. your room. You are um, seen. You are heard. Like, right. you are a person. Right. And just say, hey, good morning. How how are, how are you? Yeah. Like, I think that helps a lot. Even if they don't ever answer or feel embarrassed by that right. exchange, mm -hmm. um, I think it helps. Right. That's good to know. Because when nine people are going into your room and you say good morning nine times, I just feel obnoxious. <laughs> but I hear you. Like, I'll be out in the hall and I will hear you say good morning, so-and-so, good morning, so-and-so, good morning, so-and-so, good morning, so-and-so. And I appreciate it. I'm like... You know, that makes me feel welcome. Yeah. Like, I want a good morning. You know, if I right. were a student coming here at butt crack early in the morning, like, I want a good morning. Like, <laughs> hey, I woke up, you know? I made it. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. For me, a couple different ways. Have a student be successful. Find something that they can be successful at. There you go. And that helps them come out of their shell, whether that's giving a, a student to shine they're maybe they're artistic and hey why don't you come up to the board and draw draw something you know whatever find that thing that a student is good at and wants to show off and give them a platform to do it um and sometimes that's hard to find what that is especially if they're brand new um the other thing is to create like safe spaces for them to do um things that they don't want to do like there's all things like, well, public speaking is a thing that most people don't like but if you can cultivate a, a space where they can do that in a very safe manner to not like utterly fail, mm -hmm. right? Like um, that can help them get out of their shell. And then like icebreakers, team builders, like doing them in a very intentional crafty way mm -hmm. so that they can start to accept more and more social risk. And then they can start to let the, the, their walls down and start to become their authentic self. Um, and then the very last one, um, within leadership, like if they hadn't come out of their shell by this point, it was usually the thing that kind of was the tipping point is when we did a SWOT analysis and I just let them, gave them free reign to complain mm. about the school, the district, teachers, society, whatever. Sometimes just having a common enemy for people to come together against, like mm -hmm. they can kind of come out and they feel comfortable. They can, they can rally against an enemy. And that was like, all right, I'm starting to see a side of you. Like, thank you for showing me that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If you could work with a, another curriculum outside of your own in school, what would it be and why? Uh, outside of school? Or, or like, I guess. Outside of our curriculum yeah. area? Like, our like if you could collaborate with another curriculum in school outside of your own, what would it be? Um, okay, so this is kind of weird. I do feel kindred spirit to the history department. And so I think that. Obviously, English and history are together. They, you know, they make a lot of sense. But weirdly, I want to work with a science teacher and make really cool science experiments that also involve English. Mm -hmm. Like, let me blow some stuff up, but then write about it. Like, that's like I taught Fahrenheit mm. 451. 
And my biggest dream with that book was to always take paper and find out at what temperature it actually does burn and burn some paper and like do some science with that. Like I know why he came up with 451. It just, he called the fire department and the guy at the other end said, well, I think it's 451 degrees. And he said, sounds good. Um, But I would like that kind of science, I think would be really fascinating to me or just, you know, taking a science textbook and humanizing it. I think would be really cool too, you know, like I would like to interview the person that cloned the first sheep and like (laughs) write her perspective or their perspective or something. Um, That's actually a brilliant idea because I am not good at science, but I can rock the ACT science section and it's because it's all reading. Like you don't have to, you maybe need to know some like baseline science, but really you need to know how to read science. Read a graph Mm -hmm. is a chart and a graph. And like comparing scientific results. Yeah. And so that's actually, it's a brilliant plan. So any science teachers, if you want to write in and come cross curriculum with us, mm-hmm. love it. Would love it. Um, curricularly, I think I like the controversial option and I would like to work with the math department because everyone has told me my whole life that I'm bad at math because I prefer English and I think I'm good at math and I want to work with the math department because they could be friends. Yeah, I think they could be. And beyond just, well, I used a word problem and I have, I don't know right. why this is my voice <laughs> right. today, but you're just like is. mocking math teachers. Uh, like, no, but just like, oh, I, math teachers. Um, well, no, but I do. Did think, you just push up your glasses? <laughs> thing, like. no, no, no. <laughs> um, no, I just think, I think about um, in maths, oftentimes they're like, oh, well, the English that I'm using is. Billy Bob has 47 cantaloupes. Okay, that's cool. I don't know why Billy Bob has 47 cantaloupes. He's going but, to the farmer's market. But there's a lot more literacy in math than I think people realize mm-hmm. that goes beyond just a word problem. Oh, sorry. I yeah. also think it'd be really cool if you're if a school has like a computer science program to work with them because computer science and coding is all like language-based skills. It's just like the language does not look like ours. You know, right. So I think that'd be fine. It'd be like almost a foreign language, like learning Spanish or something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think for a music classroom, it'd be really easy to uh, cross-curricularize like a physics class. Um, just, I'm, I'm always talking about the physics of vibratory motion whenever I'm talking uh, yes. to the As band and like in uh, whenever we're talking about intonation and stuff like that. But I never get to actually like no, let's talk about like waveforms and let's talk about the difference between, you know, a sine wave and I, I don't know. I never get to dig into that. And I, it's one of those things that really fascinates me. And like, it plays into my math brain that we mentioned before. I'm maybe on a previous episode. I forget when it was, but like that I think would be very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was sitting here trying to consider like what else I would do really, I've always viewed music as the intersection of all other subjects. And so I could, I could cross curricularize with any of them, mm-hmm. you know, honestly. And I think it'd be a good time and, I don't know. I, I hate to have such a like blase answer, but the, the the most interesting to me would be a physics class combined with music. That would I'm, be so cool. I want to take this now. Like I'm not even a physics person, but I don't know anything about waves. Yeah, pressure cool. waves, like resonance, and- magic schoolhouse. No, magic school bus, bus? Uh-huh. music episode uh-huh. is, I think, the best one. I don't uh, know if that's a controversial opinion. I'd have but the to one where they I, go in the spooky haunted music house? No. I don't, I don't know if I've seen remember it. the one when they go, go inside the kid that's sick. 
I just I remember, remember that one. one. Yeah. That's We're going to have to revisit the spooky music house because you <laughs> all are missing out. <laughs> right. That's, Next that's episode, a great episode. Blind React. I mean, but Sam, you were a latchkey kid, so you I was, did actually. You did have just the magic school bus at home. My parents were poor, ergo, I had to watch the magic school bus and the old church. <laughs> hey, worse things have happened. You know? That's true. Jacob, what did you, who do you want to work with? Everyone. Like, I'm <laughs> such a collaborative person. I want to work with Be everybody. Yeah. Like, I, uh, what Eric said, like, whether it's math and like trying to find the connection to whatever subject, if you're a good teacher, I want to work with you. It's mm -hmm. that simple. Okay. If it's leadership, I want to work with you. If it's mixed media, I want to work with you. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love to collaborate. I'm such a like, Oh my gosh, you're an amazing person. Let's do something together. Like, let's play. That's what it is. <laughs> let's yeah, make a yeah. podcast together. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's really what this is, right? right We're yeah. just, yeah. Um, yeah, that would, that would be amazing to do. Also, geometry and logic are like best friends. Yeah, like they are yeah. one in the same. Yeah. Logic and debate remixed with geometry class. Really? See, I wish this existed for, like, I want this to exist for me as an adult learner yeah. because mm -hmm. I know nothing about shapes and I don't know how to find the what tangent and the cosine I'm, and the sine and the, <laughs> I, you know, I know yeah. these are terms in geometry and that's about as far as it has ever gone for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I could make that connection, like physics and music, I love music. So like making those connections would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Logic puzzles are really fun. I can combine them with geometry. I think that's what we should be doing in school in general. Don't Whoa. you think? For the yeah, record. Instead of it being so siloed. Right. And like, yeah, yeah I, this is where we're going to only learn like pure math mm -hmm. and yeah. not applications to the real world and how it connects to the room down the hallway. What do you mean mm. math is connected to the real world? I've never heard that's that right. before. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you and so many other students. Right. <laughs> and parents. And parents. And when am I ever going to use this? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm getting away from that. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just made up that question so I could see if it would differ from when you guys were all asked what other curriculum you could teach from like episode three. Oh. Wow. I, I also Look just appreciate you manipulate your role as moderator. Yeah, I just love that, Matt. Well, here's a controversial one. Okay. Do you believe it is your responsibility as a teacher to help shape the student's moral compass? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Someone has to tell you if you're being a trash person. Yeah. I Someone's think, got to. I think, I think it's a co- Before it's too late. Co-responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like, there's the parents at home, whether they mean to or not, they are instilling a moral compass in the child. Um, but then we as teachers, as other adult authority figures in their lives- are either going to challenge or reinforce those moral compasses, which I think is important for them. Like for the whole person, for the well-rounded education, you have to have differing perspectives, differing approaches. Like there's a whole world out there, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to lead your life and at least making them aware of that. They can then make a conscious decision about the orientation of that compass, you know? Well, and I think there's a sharp contrast between morality and religion. Right. I think they're, you know what I mean? Like your religion can play a role in your morals and that's not my job to give you my, my no. religious perspective or no, anything no, like that. No. But if you're being a trash human yeah. and your parents raised you to be a trash human, 
I'm going to try to fix you. <laughs> we're we're going to challenge that. Yeah, I'm going to challenge <laughs> yeah. that perspective. Like, if you think it's morally acceptable to lie, cheat, and steal because you learned it from your parents, mm-hmm. there's a problem. And, and I'm going to call you out on that. And yeah. I think I have every right to call you out on that and should call you out on that. Someone's got to. Right. Someone yeah. has to. Otherwise, you're going to be an unstoppable monster. But is that the, quote, un- indoctrination that pundits are always going on about? I this is tough. Like I think we need to do an episode on indoctrination mm-hmm. and because what that it actually is, and it's not a clear cut answer because we're it, it's all in that definition, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, because I think adjusting somebody's moral compass could be seen as indoctrination, like right. calling people out on racial slurs or, or using inappropriate um, words. Uh, like the R word or whatever. I mean, the, the list mm-hmm. is very long. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and trying to help students be successful in life requires us to step in and intervene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being a parent is a difficult job. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these young people don't have anybody at home and through no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do it, then we set them up to fail because if they're going to do that, in a place of business, they're not going to be able to be successful. Uh-huh. So, man, it, if if I put myself in the shoes of a student who doesn't know how to act or or doesn't have that moral compass alignment, um, man, I would hope somebody would step in and, and do it in a in a very caring, sincere, authentic way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Without because I, I think there's a difference between saying, "Hey." what you're doing is inappropriate and wrong. Here's the correct way. Like reteaching an incorrect behavior is important Mm -hmm, without saying like you need to have the same belief system. I do. Um, If if I can, I know we're getting kind of long here, but there's a a young man that I'm still in contact now that he's graduated high school. Um, His family grew up in, in very severe rural poverty. Um, He's the only one from his family to graduate high school. Um, and told me a story about like to their Christmas shopping was to go out. Whatever you could steal was yours. That was your Christmas. Wow. That's a, and they're coming to me as, as a high schooler, you know, that's really hard to reshape. And I would, I think most people would say like, well, that's not right. That need, that moral compass needs to be realigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this person wasn't in leadership, but as a, math teacher i still felt that's something that i should do because i had a relationship that he could trust me and mm-hmm. you know it wasn't just me there were other teachers involved but um he's now you know in my mind successful and, and doing good things and had nobody taken that on or just said oh that's just the way they are or mm-hmm. he is like it's kind of sad too like to fall through the cracks so, mm-hmm. uh, well and i think like i'm not in education specifically to benefit any one individual Mm-mm. education is a societal process and like if you come in and you're i, I even struggle to call them morals right because like I, eric spoke about like kind of this moral compass moral gray areas where like they might not inherently align and in my brain like there are some resolute morals that all people should be meeting like we treat people like they're people 100 percent of the time and i know some people choose to not but like, it's not, I don't know. 
I just struggle, I guess, with some of that terminology. But like, if we're not addressing the way that you as an individual could harm society, I don't think I'm doing my full service as an educator. And if it's indoctrination, then I'm very comfortable with it because like you should not be allowed to harm other people just because that's how you've been raised to behave. Like it's, that's just, I guess, part of my societal debt when I I took on the job. Not very many years ago, we were calling this character education. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't controversial. Right. Well, and society has grown from this too, right? Like using the R word, um, we don't, that's not socially acceptable anymore because we have grown as a society and we have said there are certain words in our language that we do not use. And, you know, there's lots of examples of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that any of those words that we're talking about, I think that everybody is aware of in your mind, listener, you know, the words we're talking about are any way political. No. They have nothing to do with politics. No. They have to do with human decency and respect. Yeah. Right. We treat people yeah. like they're people. Common courtesy. 100% of the time. Right. And one thing, one of my other cooperating teachers, I mean, we can move on after this. Um, one of my cooperating teachers said to me one time that the act of teaching is brainwashing. You know, like to, and, and not not in the like, I'm starting a cult or anything, but just the like, you know, I I need for them to trust me and to believe the information right. that I'm providing yeah. them so that they can use that information to be successful in life or whatever. Like that, it's a brainwashing process. <laughs> Absolutely. We yeah. wouldn't call it brainwashing because it has negative connotations, right. but like in essence, like it is. And so I don't know that, that, that yeah. gray area with indoctrination and like, where do you draw that line? But that's, that's getting into deep philosophy. Yeah. And no, like, I'm with you. Like getting any teenager, well, I shouldn't say any, getting most teenagers to buy into learning right. algebra, like uh, right. requires a, a level of quote unquote brainwashing. Do they, to, do they like cult want of personality. to know math? <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Have you seen that meme yes. that's out there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do they want to know? No, not at all. Oh, cool. All right. Last one. Shout out to Billiards in Springfield, Missouri for giving us a space to do this. Shout out to the staff for putting together the question. Shout out to Jared their executive chef, I guess. I don't yes, know what his executive title is. Yeah, chef Bananas. Bananas. Yes. Uh, he uh, printed off this list of questions for us. And I, I think it gave us some food for thought and gave us something to talk about. And it's, it's nice to get questions uh, from someone who's not directly in education or surrounded by it anymore. You know, that kind of thing. So we can sort of like not be in too much of a bubble. So appreciate them. Uh, shout out to Billiards. If you are a person with questions for educators and is not in education or are, your call, uh, send them in. Please let us know. We'd love to talk to you. Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Where the Whiteboards Are. The opinions expressed in our podcast are that of the individuals and do not represent the opinions of their employers school districts, or communities in which they work.